Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that <laughs> President Trump is being um, continually criticized for is not respecting, uh, actually disrespecting what the people in the foreign policy establishments of the United States, Great Britain, a few of our other allies, like to call the rules-based international order that was set up after World War II. You know that rules-based international order that allowed us to invade Iraq? That one? Here's how the rules-based international order works so far. China, one clue is, don't mess with the big guys. China's government is cracking down on dissent at an alarming pace, according to Axios.com, detaining up to one million Muslims, Uyghurs, that's their uh, that's their ethnic group, in re-education camps. At a UN Human Rights Council review recently, I think earlier this month, many countries saw fit to applaud China's human rights record rather than criticize it. Why, you might ask? They like the food? No, China's economic power and investments around the world aren't just increasing its global influence, according to Axis. They're making countries far more reticent to speak out about Beijing's abuses at home. China's director at Human Rights Watch says we might be moving onto the next bad phase where we not only see how few countries are critical of China, but how many are willing to be cheerleaders. Pakistan and Kazakhstan have both been directly affected by China's mass detentions in Xinjiang. Citizens or family members from both countries are being held. Both are heavily reliant on Chinese investment and trade. Neither criticized China at the UN Review, the first since 2013, which featured comments from 150 countries. Countries that did speak out included Japan, Germany, and the U.S., which called on the Chinese to close the internment camps and free the possibly millions being held. China's vice foreign minister responding, we will not accept the politically driven accusations from a few countries that are fraught with biases with total disregard of facts. No country shall dictate the definition of democracy and human rights. Muslim countries were notably silent on the treatment of China's Muslim minority, according to the uh, Human Rights Watch official. She says, if any other government in the world was credibly accused of detaining one million Muslims, I think we could reasonably conclude there would be calls for a debate in the Security Council. Demands for an investigation. Because China is so powerful both within and outside of the U.N., that's probably not going to happen. The net effect is that China may, well, get away with this. According to Brookings Institution, in a recent report, Beijing is building a strong coalition within the U.N., mainly of developing countries more vulnerable to Beijing's economic and political pressure, and which share its wish to prioritize development over human rights. European states aren't doing as much as they could to stand up against China on human rights. Explanations include protection of their growing economic and commercial interests, as well as geostrategic and political goals in managing China's rise. It's not just that the tone of discussion is getting softer, says uh, the official from Human Rights Watch. It's that the topics are under discussion are getting softer. It's that the institutions themselves are under threat from China. If you can't have a conversation about what's going on in Xinjiang at the U.N., you're not going to have that conversation anywhere. You can't have it in New York? You're saying you can't have it anywhere? I get you. And also about that rules-based international order, you get your choice this week. 
This week brought two, two, two new explanations of how former Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi, Khashoggi died a couple months ago. First, Saudi Arabia's public prosecutor announced he had concluded a senior intelligence officer ordered the murder and not the crown prince, bin Salman. The uh, senior intelligence officer led a team of agents told to bring the dissident journalist back to the kingdom. He was given a lethal injection after a struggle in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul on uh, the 2nd of October. He says he's charged 11 people over the murder and is seeking the death penalty for five of them. That's A. Remember, you could vote for A. Or B, the CIA on Friday was reported by the Washington Post to have concluded that the Crown Prince bin Salman himself did order the killing of Khashoggi and that uh, they had a couple more intercepted phone conversations to uh, seal their conviction on the deal. That leak, I'm sorry, that scoop in the Washington Post was quickly confirmed by the Wall Street Journal and NBC News. There's another way of putting that. The CIA leaked it to three news organizations to make sure it's stuck. So you get the Saudi prosecutor's explanation and the CIA... Now you may wonder, one may wonder, why the CIA was so avid to get that version of events out on the public record when the Trump Trump administration is much more protective of the United States commercial and military relationship with Saudi Arabia, about which more later in this broadcast. But it just tells you, I think, ladies and gentlemen, all you need to know about the rules-based international order. Hello, welcome to the show. Your pen and then write 
From Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this week's edition of the show. I should be wearing my mask. No, I know, too late for Halloween. But I uh, I rode through the fire zone in California this week to go up to uh, Santa Barbara, where Fest Forum very generously gave me a, a Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm supposed, I guess, to hand it to somebody who who deserved it. But thank you, anyway, for giving it to me. I'll try to live up to it. Um, but yes, it's it's bad up there. It's it's bad. It's worse in in, the, in Northern California, where uh, unhealthy air has been declared every every day so far for the last week and a half. But uh, the president had a comment when asked by a reporter over the weekend. The president um, whether the fires his, he visited paradise. California, not the real one, Paradise, California, on Saturday, and was asked whether uh, his visit to that scene of total destruction of that town had at all changed his views on uh, climate change. And his response was, according to the BBC, I want a great climate. So we've cleared that up. Now, before anything else, I... uh, I've I've been an advocate on this program for a long time of when when the news media and the politicians are saying, look, look, look at how bad things are here to just pull back and turn around, look around the rest of the world and see, yeah, how is it there? What's going on there? Or when things are great, they say things are great here. Turn around and, and do the same thing. Just pull back. Refuse to just have your focus put on this one spot that everybody's pointing to. Uh, this started for me when uh, George W. Bush was saying, no, 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 Iraq, Iraq, we got to do something about Iraq because um, his three criteria were a country that harbors terrorists, invades its neighbors, and possesses weapons of mass destruction. You, you can't tolerate that. That, that trio of Things you can't tolerate. You got to wipe it off the map if you can, if, or you got to regime change it. And uh, there was argument about whether any of those. We knew that uh, Iraq had invaded Kuwait, its neighbor. Uh, whether it was really giving solace and refuge to a lot of terrorists was open to debate, and certainly whether it had weapons of mass destruction was open to debate. And everybody was focusing on Iraq, and over here in this little corner, I kept saying, yeah, but what about Pakistan? They've done all three. So, in a similar way, (laughs) President Trump, for the last little while, has been uh, crowing, and most observers think deservedly so, about the low, record low unemployment rate in the United States right about now. And I just discovered this week by listening to the BBC, guess what? There's a record a record low unemployment rate in Britain. And then I went and looked it up, and there's a record low unemployment rate in Canada. And I think there's one in Australia. Boy, he's done a lot in just less than two years. Just just keep widening. Just keep widening out. Don't don't let him don't let him push in on you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are not number one on a related subject. Internet freedoms. You remember those. Taking a nosedive for the eighth year running. 
according to a report warning that authoritarian countries and populist leaders are exporting harmful attitudes and ideas around the world. The U.S. pro-democracy think tank, Freedom House, produces a report on Internet freedoms each year. This year it assessed 65 countries, found freedoms had declined in 26 of them. Of the 19 that made improvements, most were only minor. The top-rated countries were the United... No. No. Iceland and Estonia. Take that. Oh, and Canada. Canada. Iceland, Estonia, and Canada. So if you want Internet freedom, you gotta, you got to shiver a little, I think is the uh, lesson there. You're not, you're not going to wear shorts and get Internet freedom. Germany followed, Australia, and the U.S., which slipped from a score of 21 to 22. The top, top score is six, the lower the better. Uh, this organization's reason for lowering the U.S.'s score was uh, the repeal of net neutrality laws and a failure to reform sweeping surveillance rules. On the other hand, the United Kingdom was in the seventh spot. So, China was the worst offender with a score of 88. The report was at pains to emphasize the country's approach to censorship and surveillance, which I guess Google likes, maybe Facebook too says that that approach is spreading across the world, saying it's remaking the world in its techno-dystopian image. Beijing took steps this year to propagate its model abroad by conducting large-scale trainings of foreign officials providing technology to authoritarian governments and demanding that international companies abide by its content regulations, even when operating outside of China, if they want to do business inside. The country also established a new cybersecurity law this year, cracking down on attempts to circumvent the Great Firewall, as, incre- as well as increasing its use of and expertise in surveillance technology. China's encouraging other nations to follow in its footsteps. Check out social credit as a concept when you get a chance. It's China, China's way of aggregating all your digital footprints into one score that marks you as a better or a worse citizen. Coming soon. Anyway, on Internet Freedom, as on so much, we're not number one. And now, news of our friend the Atom. Forget, forget uh, taking care of the high-level radioactive waste for 10,000 years. We can't even take care of irradiated water when a, there's something goes boing at a nuclear plant. Japan must urgently tackle a buildup of contaminated water at Fuk, according to the International Atomic Energy Agency, this week. That... Uh, call happened after a site visit by IAEA experts. It follows last month's admission by TEPCO, the owner of the plant, that water treated there still contained radioactive material, despite having said for years, TEPCO having said for years, that uh, water was clean. It's not clean. 
Who, who knew? Go figure. A decision on disposing of the water, quote, must be taken urgently, engaging all stakeholders to ensure the sustainability of the decommissioning activities, the IAEA said after its team spent about a week reviewing the cleanup efforts. Hope they wore hazmat suits. In its statement, the agency said dealing with the water was critical to the cleanup. TEPCO's admission could ruin its chances of the Olympic, no, of releasing the water into the ocean. Oh, that's so disappointing. That's a move China's nuclear nuclear regulator says is the preferred method and is safe, says the nuclear regulator, but which local fishermen oppose. Go figure. Again, roughly one million tons of water is all stored at the plant, sufficient for about 500 Olympic swimming pools. Well, they're having the Olympics. Just make all the events swimming. There you go. Job done. It still contains, the water does, detectable levels of potentially harmful radioactive particles, according to TEPCO in a statement to the government at the beginning of last month. Now, I, you know, I do this show not to, uh, not to build things up, but to, to tear them down. But I do have a constructive idea. A million tons of water that's kind of radioactive. You know who could use that? The frackers. They need all that water, and it gets radioactive anyway when they... Uh, muck with it. So, hey! A forced shutdown of one nuclear reactor in in the lead-up to winter may be regarded as unfortunate. The closure of six of the seven reactors responsible for supplying almost half of Belgium's electricity is raising eyebrows. According to The Guardian, an emergency load-shedding plan has been updated under which motorway lights, that's freeways to us, will be turned off, industrial production suspended, they have industry in Belgium, and rolling three-hour blackouts launched in homes nationwide if temperatures drop in the coming months and demand outstrips the now limited electricity supply. Well, they're depending on the new... Residents have also been warned bills could increase. Oh, it's cheap, but despite the suggestion they might need to iron less and just use one pot to cook. Make it a crock pot. The impending crisis stems from the discovery at uh, the end of September of concrete degradation at one nuclear power plant west of Liège, forcing the the closure of its three reactors. Unfortunately, three of the four reactors at Belgium's second nuclear plant near Antwerp are also out of action due to planned repairs. They they restarted a gas-fired plant to make up some of the gap. The Belgium energy minister told MPs the country was covered for December, but the situation remained fluid for January and February. The fate of Belgians seems to depend on the weather in a neighboring country. The deal has been struck for France to provide electricity, but that might not be possible if France is hit by a cold snap. And there are technical obstacles emerging to plans to source power from Germany. So in the summertime, when the water is too warm, the plants have to close, and when the wintertime, it's too cold. But the fall and spring, it works great. Faked soil samples, falsified documents, two criminal convictions, three federal lawsuits in recent months. The cleanup of the former Hunter's Point Naval Shipyard near San Francisco has been rocked by scandal. Well, you've got to rock by something in October. It's Rocktober. Most que- this, this happened in October. Most questions have focused on the role of a Navy contractor, Tetra Tech. Fraud may be the least of the problems, according to the San Francisco Chronicle quoting a new report by academic researchers that reaches a startling conclusion about the cleanup 
of the shipyard. The Navy, according to this conclusion, which is supposed to be removing radioactive contamination from the yard, is relying on decades-old obsolete safety standards in order to avoid cleaning up dangerous substances. That strategy lowers the Navy's costs, but increases the risk that people living or working on the site will get cancer. What's more, the researchers say, hey, the Navy is a force for good in the world, just not in the United States. What's more, the researchers say state and federal regulators either failed to catch the archaic standards or approved of them, despite the fact that federal law requires current standards to be used. Well, that's quaint. In some cases, the strategies put forward by the Navy appeared to have been authored by the contractor, Tetra Tech. That's the contractor now accused of widespread fraud. So they're doing good wherever they go. The report relies on the current safety standards defined by the EPA. It's the Environmental Protection Agency. What do they know? And are based on scientific studies about the cancer risk from radiation. The researchers estimate how many people would get cancer from exposure to shipyard soil in buildings that the Navy considers to be acceptably clean. That's a good standard, acceptably clean. Who in the Navy would want to eat off plates that are acceptably? I guess everybody. If 380 people were exposed to this soil, one of them on average would get cancer from that exposure alone. Well, don't eat alone. The consequence, according to research, is that the Navy targets are so lenient that even if the Navy follows its own cleanup standards perfectly, the shipyard may still be dangerous. I have no solution. Fracking won't help that. Nuclear fuel reprocessing and de- decommissioning site Sellafield in England is running behind schedule. Now, that is so weird for a nuclear thing. Most major projects are in that state. It's on track to record a over budget over a budget overrun of one point two billion dollars, according to an official report. The site has been described by its own management as one of Europe's most hazardous facilities. Well, I hear I you know, I smell tourist attraction. It's used for cleaning up stored nuclear waste. I thought we solved that problem way back in April. The plant opened in 1956, has been state-run since 2016. It's due to be fully decommissioned by 2120 (laughs) at a cost of $155 billion. Yeah. The Public Accounts Committee said it remained skeptical about the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority's long-term strategy to decommission the place until work was completed. The committee said the NDA had not systematically reviewed why projects kept running into difficulties or analyzed the constraints preventing it from making faster project progress. The committee last examined progress, so-called, at the site three years ago, found major programs and projects were significantly behind schedule and over budget. Well, they're consistent. Its latest reports that progress had been made in reducing delays and expected cost overruns, but added... There's a long way to go. They got until 2120, don't they? Clean, cheap, too safe to meet or a friend the atom. And now let's get all sentimental, shall we? With news of Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. The L.A. Times, yes, they're still in L.A. Times. Why do you ask? Reports that Rupert Murdoch's handoff to his older son is nearly complete. Rup, we hardly knew ye. Is expected to be the company's last meeting with shareholders. He offered only a brief welcome before turning over the uh, lectern on the Fox lot in West Los Angeles in the Daryl F. Zanuck Theater. 
where we used to do The Simpsons before they kicked us out, to his oldest son. It began with my father's unwavering belief in the power of innovation and consumer choice. Lachlan Murdoch said, Times reports that he was speaking to a sparse crowd in the theater, which made the next comment all the more on point. He's always had a passion for engaging audiences with stories and experiences that endure. Sparse audiences sometimes, I guess. He spent 65 years assembling an empire Wall Street now values at $97 billion. The Times reports, in 1986, after gaining U.S. citizenship, Murdoch launched the Fox Network. Kind of skipping over how fast the citizenship process was for him, as opposed to, you know, those other people, the invaders. People who know him, Lachlan continued, know that he is a journalist at heart with unbounded curiosity, which combined with his unique business instinct has formed the foundation of this company. His uh, his journalism at heart caused him to uh, buy a bunch of newspapers, all of which are losing money. That's his unique business instinct at work. The Disney deal, selling Fox to Disney, isn't that antitrust? Uh, more than doubled the Murdoch's wealth, So congratulations, all y'all. Defying expectations and performing well is at the core of who we are, said Murdoch, uh, said Lachlan Murdoch. He thanked the small crowd, sat down at the table with the other directors of the company, and Rupert then leaned over and gently patted his older son on the back. No dagger apparent. Because it's nice, Corp. Oh, also, no, not mentioned in the story at all, anything about a phone hacking scandal that nearly destroyed the journalism side of the company in Great Britain. That didn't happen. Nice people, though, doing nice things. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. The European Parliament has been thinking about it. They've overwhelmingly backed a wide-ranging ban on single-use plastics in an effort to tackle pollution in seas as well as fields and waterways. Plastic straws, cotton swabs, disposable plastic plates, and cutlery banned by 2021. 90% of plastic bottles are to be recycled by 2025. In the complicated way the EU works, the member states still have to back the directive before it becomes law. We hope to have a vote in the European Council in November, that is to say this month, one uh, commission source said. If all goes well, we could have it in law by the end of the year. But of course, all always goes well. New research by the University of Pennsylvania's Rito Giere, working with collaborators around the world, is helping to illuminate a significant culprit besides car exhaust when it comes to traffic-related air pollution. Tiny bits of tires, brake pads, and road materials that become suspended in the air when vehicles pass over. <laughs> no, no, kids, vehicles don't die. Don't, don't. More and more, I've noticed we don't know enough about what our, what is on our roads, says Giere, professor and chair of Penn's Department of Earth Environmental Science. If you have lots of traffic, cars and trucks driving by, they resuspend the dust on the roads into the atmosphere, and then it becomes breathable. 
About 4 million people die prematurely from air pollution each year, he said. Unsafe water, the number is 2 million, yet we have a U.N. development goal on water pollution, but not one about the air. So he, with German colleagues, sampled and analyzed the air along roadsides. The site with busier traffic patterns had 30% more particles overall, with a greater fraction derived from tire wear. At higher temperatures, more tire abrasion, more pollution than at intermediate temperatures. So the problem of tire abrasion may only get worse. It's significant because, says the researcher, nearly 30% of the microplastics released globally to the oceans are from tires. Unquote. One way to reduce this would be just drive on the wheels. I know, it's noisier and it's not as comfortable. One way to reduce this avenue of pollution, he suggests, would be traffic calming measures. You know, those things that make you rage. No, this would actually be traffic calming. Coordinated traffic lights that reduce the amount of starting and stopping. Bank of America just bought an ad in uh, the Axios website bragging that they've helped Los Angeles by uh, lots of new smart traffic lights, which, contrary to this recommendation, make you stop and start every two blocks on major boulevards. But, you know, that's a bank. In a comprehensive review of the effects and bioavailability of microplastics conducted by the Plymouth Marine Laboratory, 39 zooplankton species have been found with microplastics in their digestive system. They don't actually have a stomach, but they do have a system. Almost half of the studies, micro, uh, zooplankton, for those of you who haven't uh, spent a lot of time in the ocean, those are uh, tiny creatures that bigger creatures eat. It's sort of at the bottom of the food web. So if it's in zooplankton, it's going to be in everything that eats them and everything that eats them, like us. Almost half of studies included in the review found plastic-consuming zooplankton subjects to exhibit some form of negative effects. Plastic's not good for zooplankton. Who would have thunk it? Impacts on their feeding or reproductive behaviors, growth and development, or even affecting their lifespan. Only three studies reported no negative effects. No positive effects reported. But, you know, part of them will live forever. What appears to influence the ingestion of these particles, a range of physical and biological factors, including the size, shape, and age of the microplastics. They'll explore. This was only done in the lab, and of course, the uh, microplastics will age and get different when they're in the ocean. So that'll be the next bit they'll research. But uh, if you're a zooplankton, microplastics—they're not just for breakfast anymore.
from Santa Monica. This is Le Show. And now... Following up on our conversation last week with um, Bruce Schneier on the subject of Internet connected things and their lack of security. Now this. Parents could be unwittingly putting their children's safety and privacy at risk thanks to security vulnerabilities in potentially millions of kids' GPS tracker watches. What a good idea that is. This is from the British tech site, The Register. These watches are supposed to be worn by the youngsters. SIM cards connect them to cellular networks, Tom. Cellular networks? Mm-hmm. The idea is they beam to back-end servers the GPS coordinated the coordinates of the wearer so their parents can, via a website or an app, find out where the tykes are at all times. The devices also display messages and take calls from guardians, can listen in on a child's activities using a microphone, and warn if a kid is straight out of a particular area, such as the playground. An investigation by British security firm Pentest Partners shows the software used by a, the smartphone app that communicates with the watches is so poorly coded, the connections are easy to hijack. So miscreants can snoop on kids as if they were their parents. Parents for a day. What a relief. The probe began when a friend of one of the... Uh, Pen test partners bought a MySafe's Kids Watcher for his offspring. Just twelve seventy-five. What could be wrong? After playing around with it, they found shocking levels of insecurity. The same week, code has been reused in a number of other GPS watches too. In excess of a million smart kids tracking watches with similar vulnerabilities are being used. Possibly in excess of three million globally, said researcher Alan Money. They're sold under numerous brands. All appear to use remarkably similar APIs. That's a uh, computer term. Suggesting a common original device manufacturer, or ODM. Well, he just explained what that means. The key problem is the app and the GPS watch do not encrypt their communications. Transmit virtually all data right out there in plain text for anyone to snoop on or meddle with, including Profile pictures, names, gender, dates of birth, height, weight, and so on of the child. By simply intercepting and changing the user ID number in the phone app's request for information on a child, a bad guy could gain full access to data on that particular youngster. You get a photograph, whereabouts, and other details for the child of that ID. You can set the ID to anything you like and produce a veritable catalog of potential victims for potential predators. The watch communicates every five minutes. You can also track the location of a child in near real time. It is such, such a smart world, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Well, (laughs) President Trump has had a a challenging week. It started out with a lot of reports that um, I believe the polite way of saying it in broadcasting ease is that He's PO'd at almost everybody in the White House, which belies his um, continued public statements that he's very happy that he was starting with the day after the election. He was happy with the election results. Of course, the election results have been getting worse and worse as the Democrats pick up more seats as more votes come in. Who knows where they're coming from? You know, 
Maybe from that caravan. Maybe they have good Wi-Fi. Anyway, um, there there was one press availability this week, late in the week, where uh, you might want to mark this down. Donald Trump told the absolute, 100% verifiable truth. As far as I'm concerned, I like to take everything personally because you do better that way. There continue to be reports, rumors, really, that um, Chief of Staff John Kelly, General John Kelly, is on the way out, but no sign that that's happening yet. But the probably the most surprising news of the week came not from the West Wing, where the president sits and stands, but from the East Wing, home of the First Lady, where um, a, a statement issued this week said that... Um, a member of the National Security Council staff, second in command to John Bolton, who's a known prickler, uh, should not any longer have the honor of serving in the White House. The name of the woman was Mira Ricardell. She developed a reputation for being more abrasive than Bolton, racking up enemies and making few allies, according to VanityFair.com, says one of those who have crossed paths with her, she's one of the meanest people I've ever dealt with. The issue was, uh, who would fly with Melania Trump, the First Lady, on the trip to Africa last month, according to a source familiar with the situation. Rick Cardell had requested seats aboard the plane for herself and other National Security Council staff. That would have taken away space reserved for press. When the East Wing, home of the First Lady, decided there wasn't room for NSC staffers. Ricardell grew angry and threatened to withhold National Security Council resources from the trip, something that's never done. In response, the First Lady reportedly expressed concerns that Ricardell and other members of the NSC staff were leaking negative stories to the press, including one uh, that uh, her hotel bill in Cairo ta- cost taxpayers nearly $100,000, and Melania didn't even stay the night. Bloomberg has reported Rick Cardell had been offered the U.S. role of ambassador to Estonia. Well, they're number one in Internet freedom. That's a good... Well, she turned that down. The senior White House official told VanityFair.com, the president wants to find her a good position. Oh, come on now. Don't be like that. One wonders... Now, in the middle of all this, you know, president being criticized for not going to... Uh, a um, military cemetery in France while he was over there for the uh, 11-11 ceremony. Because it was raining, he blamed the Secret Service. Uh, He's admired in controversy about his comments about the California fires. And then there's this. So one wonders, if one had the opportunity to uh, tap certain phone lines, what his response might be. Hello, you've reached the official voicemail of official American First Lady Melania Trump. I'm busy with either my motherly or my otherly duties right now, so please leave a message when you hear the tone, and remember, be best. Melania, it's Donald. Couple things. Still wondering about the slogan. 
it sounds like I get cut off in the middle. Like I, I keep thinking, best what, right? And I mean, think about it. If everybody's best, then nobody's a loser, which means no winners. That can't be right, okay? Think it over. And I can tell you this. Nobody knows more about branding and slogans than you better have. Ask Crooked Hillary about that, right? Okay. But now, why I'm really calling, and we should talk about this one-on-one, God knows. But I know how you feel about that. So look, okay, you don't think I got enough on my damn plate with the damn election and the friggin' witch hunt and the rain at the armistice and the freaking fires? So really, this is like a good time for you to come out in public and slam my deputy national security person? You don't think I knew Mira was a pain in the ass? So she had a problem with seats on the plane? Ask me, we'll get another plane. We're paying a hundred grand for your hotel. We're paying two hundred million to scare off the caravan. I think we can afford another freaking plane. I hope this is still recording. Because if you just send a message to me about another plane, I don't have to end up looking like friggin' Dagwood Bumstead or something. You don't think McCrone is laughing his French ass off at this right now? What kind of friggin' boat did you just get off of? I swear, if you're raising Baron to be the kind of wuss who would take crap like this sitting down, you'll be in the East Wing, all right? You'll be in the East Wing of Hoboken before I'm done. I can just tell you this. You're just lucky we don't cross paths more often, or you wouldn't need any collagen to make your lips fatter. Believe me. But look, I'm going to be nice. Just next time you have a problem... And nobody knows better than me that I got pain in the asses working for me. Nice people don't get things done, in case you haven't noticed. That's exactly why I'm the most effective person in the history of this office. Ask anybody. So call me. Send a message. Wake up General Kelly. Do whatever you have to do. But for crap's sweet sake, don't ever send out another press release slamming one of my people, okay? You're not doing it for me, right? You're doing it for the kid. God knows he doesn't need to be any wussier than he already is, okay? All right, look, Hannity's coming on. I'll talk to you later, right? I didn't mean to do a number on you, but give me a freaking break, okay? Just one big, fat, freaking break. And toss out that B-Best bit. It's tired. It's very lame. People all the time are telling me they can't stop laughing at it, okay? Big kiss. Bye.
Ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement, produced by Jim Ebersole Jr. Well, the Olympics can wave goodbye to Calgary. A majority of Calgarians, thank you, voted against the city hosting the 2026 Winter Olympics, meaning that city's bid is all but finished. Thanks to pledges from elected officials who said they would not go forward without the support of voters. It's kind of a democracy type thing. The results are non-binding. The city council must still formally vote to kill the bid. The provincial and federal governments were clear their financial support of the games was contingent upon the endorsement by Calgarians in a public vote. So, um, you could take your Winter Olympics and shove it totally out of Calgary. Now some news of the godly. The bishops of America's 196 Catholic dioceses and archdioceses gathered in Baltimore this week, meeting for the first time since sexual abuse scandals rocked the church. There's some more rocking in midsummer. They plan to vote on measures to tackle the crisis and prevent future crimes. But the bishops heard a surprising report in the opening minutes of their meeting. Francis the Talking Pope had asked them not to vote on any of their proposals. The Pope doesn't want U.S. bishops to act to address bishops' accountability on sexual abuse until he leads a worldwide meeting of church leaders in February. That's according to the head of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, Cardinal Daniel DiNardo. At the insistence of the Holy See, we will not be voting on the two action items, he said. He said he was disappointed by the Pope's directive. 
As soon as that happened, Archbishop Christopher Pierre, the Vatican's ambassador to the United States, gave a lengthy address in which he defended what the bishops have already done to reduce clergy abusing children and expressed hesitation about anyone other than clergy, like civil authorities, punishing clergy abuse. You see. And a Catholic priest in Denver accused of having sexually abused a young seminarian over the course of four years in the early 2000s was placed in a local church with a school after the Archdiocese of Denver learned of the allegations. The clergyman lost permission to work as a priest less than two months later and was removed from his post at Notre Dame Catholic Church after a disciplinary team found the allegations against him credible. But, you know, he had a nice two months there. News of the godly, and now... Apologies of the week. We're so sorry. The agency for K-pop superstars, that's a Korean pop band, BTS apologized this week for members wearing a T-shirt depicting the explosion of an atomic bomb. <laughs> that's cute. And a hat with a Nazi emblem. Japanese TV broadcasters recently canceled or stopped discussions on appearances in that country after images went viral of the musician wearing the shirt. The South Korean boy band ran into more troubles after news broke out that another member wore a hat featuring a Nazi symbol. We would like to again offer our sincerest apologies to anyone who has suffered pain, distress, and discomfort due to our shortcomings and oversight in ensuring that these matters receive our most careful attention, said the band's agency, The Big Hit Entertainment, in a statement. The T-shirt portrayed an atomic bombing juxtaposed with the celebration of Korea's 1945 liberation from Japan. Korea was colonized by Japan from 1910 to 1945. Hard feelings ensued. Forward Austin Watson has been to the Nashville Predators roster of the NFL after serving an 18-game suspension for domestic abuse. He issued a statement apologizing to everyone for the June incident that cost him the start of the season. It is a privilege to play in the National Hockey League. I'm grateful to be able to once again compete with my teammates, he said. I apologize to Jennifer, my family, Jennifer's family, my teammates, the national community, and the Nashville Predators for the negative attention that has come from the events on June 15th. I know. A hockey player being violent. Who would have thought it? Young members of the German Chancellor Angela Merkel's Conservative Party sang a Nazi-era song in a bar a week ago. A Jewish artist filmed the incident hours after she marked 80 years since the Kristallnacht program. Members of the CDU Conservative Democrats Youth Wing have issued a qualified apology after they were filmed singing that Nazi-era military song. The video was published in a newspaper. Around 15 young members are seen sitting around a table bellowing the song Westerwaldlied, Westerwald song. It was written in 1932. It was sung by German soldiers during Nazi Germany's invasion of France, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands is all. German military stopped printing it in its official songbook way back last year. Charleston, South Carolina Church is making efforts to apologize for its role in slavery. Just months after Mayor John Tecklenburg apologized on behalf of the city for Charleston's leading role in slavery. The First Baptist Church of Charleston dedicated a plaque in memory of the enslaved enslaved members of the church two centuries ago. To say they're important to us, they should have been treated different, but the goal is to honor them now, said Pastor Marshall Blaylock. I wonder if he knows they're dead. They weren't treated with respect years ago. We're honoring them now to show respect. 
Slaves were only allowed to sit in the balcony of the church and go in the building through a side door, apart from the other members. That, that, that should have taught him. Thompson said Charleston may have started, no, sorry, Mayor Anthony Thompson said Charleston may have started the slavery movement. Movement. It's a movement. But he hopes the city will end the hate as well. In memory of the thousands of enslaved members of First Baptist Church of Charleston, whose names we do not know, but are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So lamb chops for everybody. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Here's a note, especially for uh, those of you listening to this program on uh, Soho Radio in London. Christmas Without Tears, the yearly series of uh, charity music and comedy shows that uh, Judith Owen and I do, returns to London on December 3rd this year at the Mayfair Hotel in W1. Ooh. Benefiting the West London Mission with Rob Bryden. Claire Teal, Adam Hills, Julia Fordham, a lot of uh, Kansas Smitty, a Gab- Gabriella Swallow, surprise guests, a lot of other featured performers. Tickets are now available. We'd love to see you there, as I say. It's all for charity, and it's all in good fun, and it's, as Judith describes it, the antidote to Christmas. And then, of course, Christmas Without Tears returns to space in Evanston later in December. Uh, and to the, the Petit Theater in the French Quarter of New Orleans mid-December so uh, we'd love to see you there because everywhere we do it it's it helps um, charities in those local communities and features artists from those local communities it's so local it's a locavore kind of thing ladies and gentlemen that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show the program returns next week on the radio at the same time and uh, on your other audio device of choice when you choose and it'd be just like seeing you at Christmas without tears if you'd agree to join with me. Then would, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, not an exile in Hawaii desk. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's show. The email address for this program, your chances to get Cars I Talk t shirts, Christmas, Christmas gifts, Christmas gifts, and the playlist to the music and, and the email address did I say all that all at harryshearer.com and I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer come on see me there we have so much fun the show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station the Change is Easy radio network so long from the home of the homeless <laughs>